Hello, and welcome back to Never Lick the Spoon, a podcast from the Institute of Molecular Science and Engineering at Imperial College London. I'm Isabella von Holstein, and in this series, I'm going to continue to bring you stories from the teeny tiny world of molecules and how they're being used to solve some of the challenges facing our planet. I'm also going to highlight some of the genuinely amazing people involved in science and technology across Imperial and further afield. Contact us via Twitter at imperial underscore imsy using the hashtag neverlickthespoon or email us on imsy at imperial.ac.uk. Recently, we've been exploring the theme of developing the circular economy. In this episode, we're focusing on plastic, which is produced in huge and ever-increasing quantities and which is finding its way into all parts of the biosphere, including soils and oceans. You might have seen in the news that some types of bacteria have already evolved to be able to eat ordinary kinds of plastic, not just the kind designed to be biodegradable. These bacteria have usually been spotted in a landfill somewhere. I spoke to two researchers at Imperial who are collaborating with a plastics company called Polymateria to identify some plastic-eating microbes in UK soil and explore just how they do what they do and why that's useful. Um, So I'm Alice Banks. I'm a research associate at Imperial College London and I work in the life sciences department. And my research centres around using microbes to break down plastics. I'm Kun Yang Lee. I'm a reader in polymeric materials in uh, the Department of Aeronautics at Imperial College London. Uh, I work a lot on polymer engineering, particularly understanding how can you make them better, cheaper, or make them recyclable, or get rid of them from the society. Most people will view plastics as the evil material that will destroy humanity, destroy environment. The truth is that we can't live without plastics. Every single thing that you see, touch, every single material that is cheap enough that, that you can buy, uh, that protects your water from contamination, protects your food from, from cross-contamination, are all made out of plastics because they can be made easily, cheap enough, uh, and it actually works. So we won't be able to live in a world where we are plastics free. It's impossible. We probably need to learn uh, with living with plastics and managing the waste coming out of it rather than coining plastics as an evil material that needs to, to be completely removed from society. So if we can't live without it, then why can't we recycle it all? People talk about different types of plastic, PET, polyethylene, polypropylene, why does it matter what type of plastic it is? So PET are, are easily recyclable because there's, generally speaking, one type of PET that you will encounter in your life. Polyethylene, on the other hand, sometimes you will find a high-density polyethylene. is being made from a different catalyst. You'll find a low-density polyethylene, which is different from a high-density version. So molecular structure is different. Uh, polypropylene, again, you have different molecular structure that's all called polypropylene under the generic name polypropylene that makes recycling them a bit more difficult. So your, your polypropylene tubs from a given manufacturer is, is polypropylene, one of these polypropylenes, and from another manufacturer is a different type of polypropylene. They are all called polypropylene, but when you blend them together, it's not good. So recycling polypropylene itself is difficult. This is why Alice's idea of degrading everything is a good one. 
so that everything will become food source for microbes that we can ultimately grow new things out of. So what does degrading plastics with microbes actually mean? Why don't most plastics just degrade naturally anyway? Plastics are still a relatively new to nature material. They've only really been around for the last, say, 100 years or so, and only probably the last yeah, 50 years or so since they've really been in very high volumes in the environment, which means that the organisms present in the soil and the land surrounding landfill areas have not had that long to evolve mechanisms to break down these types of materials. If we compare that to something like cellulose or lignin, which has been around for thousands of years, and the organisms have had huge, huge exposure to these materials. So therefore, there's lots of metabolic processes and enzymes in place to degrade those materials, but that's just not the case for plastic because it's still quite new. Enzymes are proteins, so they're very small um, molecules produced by living things. And um, each enzyme has a substrate, which goes with it, goes together. So the substrate is um, some kind of compound or something which is going to be broken down by that enzyme. And when the enzyme encounters that particular substrate, then it's able to carry out a reaction, which normally involves some kind of uh, breaking chemical bonds to break that substrate into these two different or multiple different things. So when we're thinking about that within the context of plastic degradation, then these long polymer chains which make up plastics can be broken into much smaller, uh, shorter chains by the use of enzymes, which can, um, when they recognise a particular region on that polymer chain, then they'll attach to it. And at the site that it recognises, it's going to cut those polymer chains and make them much smaller. So that means you, if each individual organism produces only one enzyme or a small set of enzymes, but we've got lots of different types of plastics, we're looking for more than one microorganism to solve this problem. Uh, yes, that's very likely. So as um, we've sort of discussed, there are lots of different varieties of plastic um, which have different types of chemistry. So enzymes are very, very specific. So it's not as simple as having one enzyme to break down plastics. Each enzyme is going to be specific for different types of plastic. Um, so that's why um, screening lots of different microbes is a good way to try and hopefully identify enzymes which are good candidates for doing the job. How many different types of microorganism is there in, let's say, landfill soil, in yeah. ordinary soil? Is it other lots? There'll be, yeah, there'll be thousands and thousands. Okay. So the normal way the, the environment breaks things down enzymatically is it has a huge community of microbes all doing their own specific thing. So we're kind of recreating that, but for plastics. Yes. In, in any environment, um, then there's going to be lots and lots of different microorganisms at play together. Um, and you probably find that some of those are have got a symbiotic relationship of sorts and it's likely that different individual bacteria within that community are carrying out different tasks and sometimes a task carried out by one individual may benefit others that are also in that community um, and everyone's all the members of that community more or less need to do their fair share for it to be balanced um, 
And one of the ways that they do this is that some organisms might perhaps secrete the enzymes that they're being produced. So if they are making an important enzyme, instead of that enzyme being kept within the cell, it is released into the environment and um, carries out whatever particular task that enzyme has evolved to do. So, for example, that might be degrading plastic. Um, and as a result, the um, product of that enzyme is then accessible for everyone in that community. So we might find that one bacteria releases an enzyme to break down plastic, and then these smaller uh, plastic degradation products can be consumed by many of the bacteria living in that environment. What does a successful outcome look like for this project? So I think over that 12 week period, which as you say is not not that long in the grand scheme of things, um, what we hope to find is I've isolated some microorganisms and to do that, we're literally just taking some soil from the Imperial campus, so we're um, not straying very far at all. But uh, during that time, we would hope to identify some microorganisms that were found in that soil sample that are able to grow on polyethylene as what we would describe as a sole carbon source. So what that means is that um, when we put those bacteria in a culture, the only source of food is coming from plastic. So if we find that those bacteria are able to grow and reproduce at all, we know that that must be because they're eating the plastic. So um, we have experiments ongoing at the moment to do that. And um, we are testing a whole range of different types of polyethylene. So these involve things like um, different additives which have been included. We're also looking at um, whether or not this weathering process makes much difference and whether bacteria find it easier to break down plastics which have already been exposed to a lot of weathering. So um, I think yeah one of the the major things we're hoping to achieve is to identify some bacteria that look like really promising candidates to take further in sort of future research projects. It's interesting that you can just start with soil from Imperial campus rather than having to go into a landfill or a plastics recycling plant and try and deliberately catch one of these microbes that's got a bit of a start in the evolutionary process. Yeah, I mean, I think, to be honest, because plastics do cause such a lot of pollution and contamination that a lot of an awful lot of soil that we find around locally is likely to have some level of plastics in it already. So there's a chance that bacteria that we find in the soil have already been exposed on some level to plastics. So hopefully um, we, we will find some really promising candidates from the soil that we're screening at the moment. You're working with a plastics company to do this work? Yes, it's so Polymateria and um, they have developed this technology which um, is an additive that can be included during the polymer production process and it allows biodegradation to occur at a predetermined time. So depending on the type of product, the plastic product that's being used, then um, biodegradation can occur once that product has reached the end of its um, useful life. This question of scale is core, isn't it? Yeah. At one, at one level, we're asking the question, how does an enzyme interact with a plastic molecule? Which is a very, very small scale question. Yeah. And then you start saying, okay, but how many different enzymes are there? How many different types of plastics are there? And you've already got, you've gone up a dimension. And then it's, the whole world and you're making this stuff in megaton quantities or 
trying to put these maximum quantities of plastic around and you want to try and deal with as much of that as possible as quickly as possible and suddenly you've got a huge problem yeah and i think even um well even just locally even within the uk if you look at how recycling and waste and refuse is processed regionally you will find differences when you then start to go beyond the uk and look at this globally it's not done the same way everywhere so if you're developing um, something that can be implemented within the UK to fit in with the plastic recycling stream, um, that won't necessarily slot nicely into how plastic recycling is carried out elsewhere. So it's a real challenge to develop this to the point where it can be implemented on a global scale. Can we go into that in a bit more detail? I think that's really interesting. When you say things are not the same, let's say you, you manage to find a, a set of a suite of molecules that work really well in the UK. Why would it be difficult to make them happen in, say, Africa? Is it because the temperature is different or the humidity is different or because they'd be too expensive or because we can't ship them or we can't make them in large enough quantities to ship or all of those things? Um, <laughs> potentially quite a few of those things. I think it depend, depends how the waste is collected and how and where it's separated. Um, interesting, though, that you touched on temperature because... Uh, a lot of enzymes do tend to work more quickly at higher temperatures, so potentially in parts of the world where um, those temperatures are higher, just the climate's hotter, then potentially degradation might happen more quickly, um, which can be a challenge in sort of northern parts of Europe where we are, um, where it's not that, really not that warm out. So if you're looking for a, a bacteria or an enzyme which is going to work just on escaped plastics which you might find in the environment they need to be active at quite a low temperature um, and effective at a low temperature whereas in a warmer part of the world then you might get much more effective degradation so it might be that different technologies are more appropriate in different parts of the world and supply chains the biggest well supply chain and regulations are the two biggest uh, uncertainties here so certain countries would favor certain grades of polymers, mainly because it's easier to, to get those polymers. And certain countries will, will approve certain additives being added into a, a given polymeric product. And, and in certain countries, they ban those polymers, uh, ban those additives to be added into these polymeric products. And that sort of subtle differences may be an issue uh, if we were to use the same microbes to be able to eat away all of these uh, polymers, these plastics. The, the plastic waste problem is, is not a regional problem. It's not the problem in one particular household, one borough, one building, one government, right? Plastics are made, the raw materials for plastics are made in a certain country, being transported to another country for processing, then being transported to manufacturers for reprocessing, compounding, and and, and then being used as packaging, as, as using packaging as an example. So it has a global supply chain involved. So solving any plastic waste-related problem cannot be done in isolation. You cannot focus only on a, a certain region, a certain country without involving any other stakeholders. And this is why this project and what IMSI can offer is actually unique in the sense that uh, we work across multiple departments. So you have the, the life sciences and, and, and aeronautics. You have polymaterial, which actually provides us with, with their additive technologies, so, uh, one of the uh, SME, if you will. And they do have, again, in their, uh, their network, 
plastic producers that 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 we could also tap into, and through that sort of uh, format, we are able to to then make a larger impact in in solving the plastic waste crisis that that we are having and we will still have for the next 30 to 50 years. And that was Kun Yang Lee and Alice Banks talking to me about their project. That's it for this episode about microbes eating plastics. Have you tried to go zero plastic? Do you know what proportion of plastics are recovered for recycling by your local authority? How many different kinds of plastics will you chuck in your recycling bin this week? Share your thoughts with us on social media or email us on imsi at imperial.ac.uk. Until next time, take care and remember, never lick the spoon.